I find it difficult sometimes to open such broad subjects as I have opened in these past weeks as the marriage supper of the Lamb, marriage generally, and the fact that uh, marriage is ordained of God because of Jesus Christ's relationship to the church. It is the picture. That is why God ordained marriage. That is why he took Eve from the side of Adam and then joined them together as one again. The creation of God, man, came from the hand of God. And when we are joined to Christ, we become members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And a marriage union takes place as no other union upon earth. Therefore, we speak of the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And when marriage is spoken of in the only portion that's used by all Christian churches in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and is used in all marriage manuals and books, if you look at a minister's manual, you'll find that this is the portion that is always read. Ephesians 5.32 says, so you can understand, after he speaks of marriage, he says, I, I'm showing you a great mystery, for I am speaking of Christ and his church. Now, this will take deep understanding because the world today is somehow involved in this binge that marriage is merely giving us the privilege of a sexual union. And it's true, it does. But it is not its main purpose. Its main purpose was that it might show to mankind in the holiest and most intimate relationship he could ever have between a man and a woman the union of Christ and his church in its beauty, in its intimacy, in its holiness, in its very personal character. And so in this age we're living in, this desperate age, if I can say so, as a preacher of the gospel, I must rise in complete opposition to the open libertine spirit that is running amok in the world. It is sweeping the world. The scripture says the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And we can see it, you see. If we were to look at marriage today as it is considered by most people, it would be a tragic thing. Why do one in now three marriages, it was four, now it's about 3.2 marriages end in divorce courts? because there has not been the joining together as God ordained. 
and even some so-called Christian marriages have been on the wrong base. Unfortunately, there have been those Christians that have felt as long as another person's a Christian, you're okay. This is not true. I don't know where it ever came from. The other person must be a Christian, but you must love them very deeply. For the intimacies of marriage demand both a joining together in flesh and in spirit to be what God wants them to be. And so I have to rise against those things which I feel are running amok in the world. And I don't know whether you're conscious of it or not, possibly as much as I, but I would, I would think that you are very much conscious of the conditions that are in the world today. I think our young people are. There was a day that uh, maybe 15 years ago, 18 years ago, I would have a certain timidity, wrongly so probably, on speaking on some subjects that I now speak. But I feel that when the conditions in the world so warrant speaking, I must speak. And the conditions that surround us are of a dire character. I listened yesterday to the teacher of biology in Stanford University on television. He gives the world, and this nation specifically, two years to correct its thinking, to have absolute control of population explosion. Did you know there are four people born every second? As I understand it, we are adding to the world's population about 30 million a year. He says, you can't feed the three and a half billion you have, and in the next two decades, you'll have near six billion. Double. But more than that, he says, we're in for nuclear destruction. The greatest famine the world has ever known, he says, won't be two years, but five, 1975. The greatest famine the world has ever seen or known will be rampant throughout the earth. And like the hordes of Genghis Khan, the populations of the earth shall swing from orb to orb, foraging for food. And you think the Lord isn't coming? Why, you'd have to be blind. You'd have to be an ostrich. And put your head in the sand. Or an absolute unbeliever. And so the... While I speak of the marriage supper of the Lamb and found over in Revelation, let me just read it to you and then I want to just speak a little further. We have the Lord's Supper this morning. And as I said, it, I've opened this subject probably oh, six or seven weeks ago speaking on these things. And uh, this whole chapter that I'm in, this 19th and 20th chapters of Revelation, she'll probably, I don't know how long it will take me to even get through them. There are so many vast things that God is speaking about. But he's speaking here of the church has made herself ready now. 
the marriage of the Lamb has come. He says, oh, look, glorious. You know, if there's one reason you should make your marriage, and let me tell you this, life is not an experience to be learned. It's a job to be done. It's a job to be done. Just not walking through this life on a learning process. God puts it well, they're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It's a job to be done, whether it be in marriage or not. And may I say this for every single married couple here. And if you're not married, remember, your bridegroom is Jesus Christ. Maybe you won't taste of some of the so-called fleshly ecstasies of life. But I want to tell you that what Christ will give you will far supersede that, and it's for all eternity. So stop your worrying about the little pinpoint we're living in. And remember that Christ will fulfill every joy you've ever expected. And if you have a bridegroom in heaven who loves you with all his heart, he has a purpose for you. You're to look for that divine purpose. Use yourself as the very bride of Christ to the utmost. But for the married, may I say this, it will be a tragedy if you'll have to get to glory and be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and find that your marriage with such a misery on earth that you never portrayed to your neighbor what Christ and his church meant in your own little family life. It's to be worked at. You haven't got enough love, you can make it if you're in Christ. You can labor at it. You can determine that your marriage is going to be a thing of beauty because you both love Jesus Christ, and you can do it. And there's not a thing in that brain that God can't change when he gives you what? The mind of Christ. And if you're not approaching yourselves properly as a mate to each other, then the mind of Christ is lacking. It is the regeneration of the mind and the capacity to labor at your marriage and make it a thing of joy and a thing of beauty with all of its frustrations, with all of the trials and the problems of earth, which are many. We frankly admit that. But we say you are a born-again Christian and you claim love for Christ and you claim that your marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his church. That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul says. And therefore... You do not look at life as a learning process down to the grave, but you say there's a job to be done. And while I learn, I am learning of Jesus. He says, come, learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All ye that are weary and heaven laden, come to me. Come to me. So, beloved, our marriages can be made what God wants them to be. And when I say that, I recognize that many, many marriages are not what they should be. They're not the kind of marriage that God wants, filled with love and joy and peace and the compassions from each heart to the other and filled with all the joy that God wants you to have. And God never deprives you, remember, of the fleshly joys. He gives them to you in a superabundance when you're joined together in the Spirit. And the fleshly joy, may I say this? You, if all you know of love is the Greek word eros, which means fleshly love. 
you have not understood life. Until eros, which is the normal love of a man for a woman, passionate love in a woman for a man, until that love is bathed in agape, God's love, eros will never be understood. It can't be. And your fleshly union is a nothingness until it is spiritual. Oh, God help us to dignify the glorious physical relationship God gives of a man with a woman. That sexual relationship, God be praised for it that he has given us this glorious privilege. He made us and formed us exactly as we are, that we might taste of the heavenly bliss that would say to us, this is the love of my son for you, just as holy, just as intimate. And he is saying to us, if all that you have is eros, passion without God's love bathing it, you are not tasting. You are indulging, but not tasting of the Lord to see that he is good. Now, let me read from Revelation 19 of the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. I'll be reading it several times in the coming weeks because there's so much. How many of you have purchased in the last week one of our great national magazines, I think either top seller or second best seller, uh, and I'm not even going to mention the name because I'm not doing an advertising job, if I can say that. Uh, but it uh, has much to say about the next decade. Well, I, I got a copy because I had heard about it, and I read it. Beloved brethren and sisters, God help you if we live another decade, if Christ doesn't come. Let me read the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, and I, just for the few minutes, I want to talk to you a little from that article, because I want what I have to say to be right up to date in your hearts. The Bible, may I say this, the Bible is not some old book that isn't right up to date. The Bible is right up to date and shows forth more than man shall ever be able to see. You know, I read my Bible and I thrill because I say, isn't it tremendous here are men writing books and articles and they're considered the great journalists, the great authors, the great musicians. And with all of that, they are totally blind unless they see Christ. There was an age, you know, when all the music and all the literature was all Christ-centered. Did you know that? When all of the men who painted, painted Christ. When all of the men who wrote music, wrote of Christ. When all of the men who wrote books, wrote of Christ. There was an age when this occurred. But not today, beloved. Not today. Let me read the Marriage Supper. 19th chapter, 
of Revelation. And the fifth verse, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. I put in my parenthesis here Ephesians 5.32. And that verse says, I show you a great mystery, for I speak of Christ and his church. And Paul has just spoken of that portion that is in all marriage manuals. And so, oh, that I can raise your sights about your marriage, I, I pray that I can. I pray that I can get you up to the divine level where God wants you so you can love each other like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. And wives and husbands will have a holy understanding of who they are and that their lives are a reflection to their children and their grandchildren. And God will judge us if our marriages have affected our children, and our grandchildren. I wouldn't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And if in any sense your marriage has in any way so affected, oh, be frank with the children. Say, we've been failures. Forgive us. We want to really live for Jesus now. Forgive us for not letting our marriage shine. It should have shined to you. It should have shined, grandchildren. Oh, that we will see what God wants in our married life. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen. Now, here in the Greek is the righteous deeds of the saints. You remember I mentioned that Steve always says, what we weave here, we'll wear there, Steve Roller. What we weave here, we'll wear there. And that's it. In the Greek, it means the righteous deeds of the saints. God, after you're saved, he says, you're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which I before ordained, that you should walk in them. Every man shall be judged for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. And so our clothing, it says to us here, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And he saith to me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Wonderful. Now, when we think of marriage, if you turn back with me to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5th chapter. Twenty-second verse, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord. And this doesn't stand for argumentation. There's a big inclination today in the world to throw it all out. But a wife has to have a husband who loves her like Christ loved the church. 
and gave himself for it. Then submission is, is beautiful. Your submission to Christ is a beautiful thing. The only deep and holy joy you can have as a Christian is when you are submitted to Christ. God's made you that way. There's no one here this morning that has the joy of the Lord who is a defeated Christian. You can't be defeated and have joy. Joy is only possible to victory and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, her submission to him will be a thing of beauty and joy and contentedness of heart. Because she won't have a dictator, she'll have a savior. But that's exactly what it talks about. That the husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What a high and holy calling. Listen, husband. Listen, wife. You take notice, huh? How has your marriage been? Hmm? How has it been? Has it been a good one? What did you do to make it good? Were you submissive unto the Lord Jesus Christ? Husband, did you love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? A sacrificial, a holy, a tender love that said, I would die if need be for thee, for I love thee so. Then, wife, the joy of your life should have been submission to such a husband. And if you have not been submissive, you have disobeyed your God. But, husband, you've got to be the right place, too. It's not half a job. That husband that says, you've got to be submissive to me without thinking of Christ doesn't understand at all. This submission is based upon the love of the husband for the wife. Like Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. This is marriage. This is why no one but Christians can understand marriage. This is why no one but Christians should be married in the Christian church. This is why no one should be married before the pulpit of God and the Holy Bible who does not trust Christ as personal Savior. And that's why this pastor will never marry a believer and an unbeliever. Because you can't understand what I'm talking about. And a man who doesn't know Christ can never love his wife as she should be loved. And a wife who doesn't know Christ can never be in submissions like she should be in submission. Because she's never understood what salvation is and received the mind of Christ so she approaches marriage as marriage should be approached. Now I, well I have ten minutes let's say. Let me read to you, all right, uh, from this magazine that has a date on it that's not let, you know how they're out a week and a half ahead of time. Well, the date on this magazine is yet a week away, a week and a half away. 
although it's on the stands. Let me read what you have, all right, folks, for the future? You'd like to know a little about what's coming for 1970? Well, let, let me read it to you, all right? The whole magazine advocates nudity. seem to me no matter where they get whether they get to the business thing whether they get to the arts whether they get to anything everything ends up in the same place nudity I see one of our large shoes shoe stores in New York now is going to have topless girls waiting on the men to sell them shoes if they can get past it The vileness of what's happening, this is one of our largest shoe chains. That is their purpose. It might interest you also to know that 15 of the largest cigarette companies in the United States have already stored marijuana cigarettes in packs set to be sold the day legalism comes. Let me read you what this great magazine has to say. We must start making sex safe and joyful simply by renouncing all censorships. Ah, that's an editorial. We mean just what we say. Sexual intercourse must be shown on network television. And in all family magazines, nothing shall be hidden. We have no need for film ratings of X and R and M. Cast them all out so the family can enjoy them together. We need a world where people can trust their feelings. God help us. Where members of the same sex can touch Caress without fear of homosexuality and enjoy it? Where members of the opposite sex can touch and caress without fear of seductiveness? This magazine is read by 13 million people. You don't think your children are reading it? Let me tell you, at Jack Wurtson's meeting last night, I didn't happen to be there. But they tell me, my young people, it was the greatest meeting they've been to. And the man that was there revealed to them the underground press, the underground thing that is going on in high schools, the pornography, all of these underground things, the underground music, the underground lyrics for music that your kids in high school are getting spewed into them. You don't think they come home and tell you, do they? But I want to tell you, I'm going to speak out with all my heart. I'm not going to hide one single thing. Because these are in national magazines. Advocating all of these things, although God has deemed it holy. Beloved, I want to say this. 
The moral law of God cannot be changed by legalizing those things he prohibits and calls sin. You can legalize all you want, but I won't change it one bit. He says, it's true that our distant past required fast breeding and lasting pair bonding in marriage. But now we need groups of friends and neighbors who are willing and able to share the strongest feelings, to share responsibility for the emotional needs of children in the group. Thus, no one will be childless. Get this philosophy. No one will lack affection. No one will lack very emotional and sensual lives. Let me tell you, Israel tried it in the kibbutz and they're giving it up. Russia tried it. And they become now more definitely puritanical than even we are. And now we're advocating again the family. And here in this nation now, we're being swept up into that which they say is brand new, never been tried. We've got to try this new thing. May I tell you that contrary to the opinion of these men, this is not new, that it is in keeping with the past of man that the Roman Empire is the nearest thing I can think to the present day that we have. God is still on the throne and his judgments still stand. And if he judged Noah in Noah's day for the libertine spirit and he judged Lot in Lot's day as wife for the libertine spirit and the sexuality, and if he judged all down through Israel's history, their spirit and set them aside... Then, beloved, we better come to grips with the problems we face. And you as Christians better stand fast and say what you have to say. We sit back as though it's nothing. May I ask you, mother and father, when have you ever talked to your children about these things? You don't want the school to teach them? What are you doing? This is a national magazine. Might as well tell you to look. No one will be childless. No one will lack affection. No one will be deprived of the rich and varied sensual experiences. The new sexuality leads eventually to the creation of a family as wide as all mankind that we can weep together and laugh together and share the common ecstasy. Now, may I say something to you about this? The only place you can share the common ecstasy is in the family of God as the brothers and sisters together in the family of God redeemed in the blood of Christ, then you have a family relationship that this man knows nothing about. We've been bound together in Jesus Christ. We're members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Beloved, when I think of him saying here that terrible statement that says there was a day when we required lasting pair bonds, in marriage, I couldn't help but think 
what Paul warns us in 1 Timothy 4th chapter. Listen to his words. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, last days, some shall depart from the faith and shall give heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It doesn't bother them anymore. They can do anything. Third verse, forbidding to marry. That's what he says. We need a group relationship. No one will be without children because you will live in a combine where all the children belong to everybody. You can share every experience together in this relationship. Here is the editorial of a national magazine. And this is just a touch. Just a touch. Beloved, when it tells us the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready, I want to tell you that readiness of the bride of Christ, his church is in purity. He says, I want to clothe you in linen pure and white, which is the righteous deeds of my family. Oh, God help us. The world is being duped. Satan is running rampant throughout all the earth. No wonder now I begin to fathom. Jesus says he's the God of this world. Jesus says he's the prince of the powers of the air. And he says the whole world lies in darkness under his domain, even unto this hour. Now I begin to realize more than ever before. Listen, young people, I hope you don't mind your pastor saying so. Some of your mothers and fathers scream a little, but it's a strange thing when I speak on these things. So many young people, 12 and 13 years of age, come to me and say to me, Pastor, thank you. Because we've been hearing all the other side, all the sexuality, all the flesh. And mother and daddy haven't said one single iota so that we have to look to the pulpit of God to hear something that will stir our hearts to serve the living Christ. Last night they tell me when the invitation was given to begin to realize that God is against all these things that are so fleshly and carnal that a myriad of young people got up and made commitments to God to cleanse out all the filthy lyrics in their in their bookshelf, their, their shelves home where they have their records. All the pornography. Oh, you didn't think your kids had them. Well, a myriad of kids got up, Christian kids, and said, we'll get rid of them. Oh, I'm glad I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher of righteousness. I'm a preacher of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm glad my young people love me. They come to me sometimes and say, boy, my mother and dad's never said a thing to me. Never said a thing. Pastor, you don't know what it means to us to have you right on the line and say what you have to say. Take what's happening and not try to put our heads in the sand. 
Some people are still treating sex as dirty. The name, the word, unfortunately, connotations which are unbelievably unclean. But I would remind you that my God made you what you are. And having made you what you are, he made you that kind of a creature. But he says, I've made you intensely passionate. Don't be ashamed of it, but remember, I've only provided one thing. That is that while you have eros, affectionate, passionate love, you must have my agape, God's love, so that you can know in your heart and mind that I've confined it to one relationship. That is with your wife or your husband. Otherwise, you will never know that Christ has but one single relationship on earth, and that is to his blood-bought bride. It's single. It's no one else but his bride. It's not mankind. He loved his church, and he gave himself for it and it alone. Well, great work. I love to be frank with you. Why? We're family. <laughs> if you're not, you don't understand Christ. I feel sorry for you. I really do. You don't understand Christ. That Christ has bound you and I together as a fellowship in the family. Fathers, mothers, children, sons and daughters. Christ has much to say to our hearts. And as this preacher preaches, may you love me to the utmost and say, Pastor again. May I thank you at the door. Say, never shut your mouth, Pastor. Keep it open. Preach the gospel. Preach what God lays upon your heart. Do you remember Noah of old? They complained about him. He preached for 120 years, and he preached about their sin and their sexual problems. And you know what? Only a few got saved. Well, I'm thankful that I believe that nearly all of you here know Christ as your personal Savior. And if there's anyone that doesn't, oh, I pray to God that you'll come. And mothers and fathers, don't you be in the least bit squeamish. Your kids are 12 no more than you did at 20. And I'm just feeding them upon something may keep them clean. For God and for you. And not just for time, but for eternity. Let us pray. Father, we, we do thank thee. You've been good to us in our little family here. We remember that Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, Timothy, my son, according to the faith. And Father, I have to look out at the congregation and say, my children, according to the faith. And the father is supposed to speak to his children. And thou hast placed me in that position that Paul had of a spiritual father to so many who found Christ as their personal Savior. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and have been redeemed. Lord, I ask thee above all else that those words that I speak may stir hearts. God has not changed. He never will change. 
It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Father, touch our hearts. We haven't spoken one thing that the schools haven't outdone for children four and five years of age. That's our tragedy. Never comes from a Christian mom and dad where they can tell them about the Spirit of God and how he beautifies everything. God help us. What failures, what failures. Son to daughters who look back and say, I never heard a word. All I got was school and bio biology. God help us to balance it all. Bless this people as we come to the table. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.